Welcome to another episode of On the Issues with Alain Ben-Mir. Today, we are happy to welcome back to the podcast, David Rundell. David is a former American diplomat who served for 30 years in the Foreign Service, including 15 in Saudi Arabia, and is widely regarded as one of America's leading experts on Saudi Arabia. In this episode, Alan and David continue their discussion on the U.S.-Saudi relationship, including an analysis of Biden's trip to Saudi Arabia, the decision of OPEC Plus to reduce oil production by 2 million barrels, and the changing dynamics within the U.S.-Saudi relationship. So, so from your perspective, this is you know, the, the most important question. Why now, specifically after Biden visited Saudi Arabia, with the express purpose to ensure that there will be increase rather than decrease in oil production. I mean, this is one of his main objectives, albeit, uh, you know, when he was running, he called this the, the state as a pariah state. He criticized intensely MBS, you know, the crown prince, now the, the president of the, of the council. But nevertheless, because of the conditions, because of the situation, the tension, because of the war, he decided nevertheless to go to Saudi Arabia, some against the advice of many who told him this is not the right step to take. So here you are, he went there, they talked, although they did not commit themselves to produce more oil, now there is an OPEC meeting, and now they have, they have decided to reduce it by two million barrels a day. Why do you think they've done that? What happened in between from his visit to what's happened a couple of days ago? I think there are several factors here. It's not a single causation. There are numerous contributing elements to the Saudi decision. Yeah, uh, the yeah. first one is um, the one that people want to focus on, which is the emotional issue. Um, the president did, I think that the only term you can use is insult Mohammed bin Salman several times. Uh, he made it very clear that he did not like Mohammed bin Salman. There were people in Washington who made it very clear that they hoped that Mohammed bin Salman would not become king, that someone else would be chosen in his place. So there was a certain animosity yeah. toward this individual. That's point number one. Um, point number two is that I think it is an exaggeration to say that the president handed Mohammed bin Salman an olive branch. Um, I believe that he could have done that. I personally believe that he should have done that, but I don't think that he did. The White House made it very clear that they were not going to see Mohammed bin Salman. You can see this uh, on numerous uh, clips uh, that they said, we are going to Saudi Arabia for an international meeting where Mohammed bin Salman will just happen to be present. Right. That's very different than saying, I'm going to meet this guy. Then the president refuses to, to shake his hand, okay? This famous hit fist bump was a specific yeah. request of the United States so that the president would not have to shake the hand of Mohammed bin Salman, although he shook the hand of many other people while he was there. Yeah. And then yeah. the White House, again, made it very clear that the first thing, the first element of business, the first order of business was to lecture the Saudis on human rights. So yeah. I would argue that this was not really a fence mending operation. Had it been, had I been advising him, I would have, number one, said, I'm going to see the crown prince. I would have shaken his hand. 
And I would have stood there with the crown prince and said, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi was a crime and a mistake. The crown prince has publicly accepted responsibility for this, which he has done. And he has assured me that nothing like this will happen again. And we're going to turn the page and move on. Mm -hmm. uh, that, would have, that would have been a compelling answer to the problem. But what the president did um, was a, at best a half measure and um, done very half-heartedly. And it, I don't think it impressed the Saudis. So that's the first point, the, if you will, the emotional element. The emotional, yeah, yeah. The second is the, if you will, um, the practical reality that we are now in a multipolar world. There are many people in the United States who still seem to think that um, we are the global hegemon that we were at the collapse of the Soviet Union. That's simply not the case. Um, if you listen to the mainstream media in the United States, you will think that the whole world supports our view of Ukraine. Uh, and that, again, is simply not the case. Um, China certainly doesn't. India abstained. Uh, Brazil abstained at the United Nations Security Council. Mexico uh, has not imposed the kind of sanctions that we would like. Right, right, um, right. The majority of the people on this planet um, are not in support of our policy toward the Ukraine and are not imposing sanctions. And in fact, are quite happy to buy oil from Russia. So what I'm saying, and I'm not arguing whether that's good or bad. I'm not, I'm not, that's yeah, yeah. a whole different, what I'm doing, this falls in this what I'm saying is I'm pointing out a fact that the world has changed. China is Saudi Arabia's largest customer. Uh -huh. Russia is their partner in OPEC plus. Uh, and many people uh, feel that in this on the planet that um, I wouldn't say that they think our policy in toward Ukraine is wrong, but I would say that they don't feel that they have any obligation to follow us uh, in that pursuit. The prime minister or not the prime minister, the petroleum minister of India was very clear when he spoke in Italy just about a week ago now. And he said, look, I am the elected representative of the people of India. My job is to get the people of India the cheapest energy I can get them. And if I can get it from Russia, I'm gonna do that. Um, that is an attitude held by many people in Africa as well. So yeah. the point being that there's now a multipolar world that uh, the Saudis have alternatives to the United States for many of their economic and political um, requirements. And then there's the third issue, which is simply that uh, Saudi Arabia is a country that pursues its own interests as it sees them. And its primary source of income is from exporting oil. So right. their goal is to maximize the income that they can get from oil over the long term. So in usually this, in fact, I would argue even today, this means getting as high a price as you can get without destroying demand. In other words, they have learned that if they push the price too high, A, there will be a recession globally that will destroy demand, but also if they push this price too high, 
People will start drilling again in the North Sea. People will start <laughs> drilling in Alaska. People will put the third uh, insulation in their roof. So they understand that there's a fine line between what they would get maximizing their profit and destroying demand. Um, and I think that what they have said, and this is the, if you will, we first had the emotional issue, then we had the political issue, and now we have the economic issue. And economically, um, they made a calculated decision about where global demand is going. And I think that you could, you could there's certainly a case to be made uh, to agree with them that demand in Europe is being reduced by government fiat. The governments in Europe are saying we have to cut, we're, they're shutting down industries. They're telling homeowners that they've got to reduce the temperature in their house. So there is definitely demand destruction going on in Europe. The United States is technically in a recession, whether you want to call it a recession or not. We are in a recession. We're certainly not growing. And China is in the midst of uh, more COVID. So there is, a, there is a case to be made that global demand is going down. Um, the price of oil since June has fallen by about a third. Uh, so they were, and they were saying, well, demand is going down. So we're going to reduce um, production to keep the price at a level that we can make as much money as we can without putting the world in recession. I think it's also true to, there's a further point to, to note here is that, um, they're probably not going to reduce by two million barrels. I've I've seen estimates that it's really more like nine hundred thousand because they weren't That's really, correct. Yeah. They weren't yeah. really producing at yeah. their maximum to begin with. Yeah. So it looks a little bit more uh, more dramatic than in fact it is. But that doesn't change the fact that they did decide uh, against numerous requests from the United States yeah. Um, yeah. to reduce production. And I would just close this comment by saying that um, in my 30 years of working with Saudi Arabia in the, as a government official, um, there were many times when we either asked them to increase or sometimes to decrease production. You may remember that President Trump <clears throat> actually asked them to decrease production so that they would could basically save part of the American oil industry from a collapse when COVID came. So sometimes they increase production, sometimes they decrease production, sometimes they do it because we ask, sometimes they do it for their own reasons. But there were many times in history when they have tried to stabilize markets by increasing production. I think people ought to be aware of that, that many times they have, rather than get a short-term windfall profit, they have stepped up and increased production when there was a hurricane, when there was a war, uh, quite frankly, when we put sanctions on Iran yeah. and put Iranian oil off the market, it was only the fact that the Saudis were able to increase production then that kept there from being a price spike when we put these sanctions on Iran and the same for Venezuela. So yeah. they have been um, cooperative over many years, but I would, all, I would say that they don't always, and they never have done exactly uh, what we uh, want them to do. They look and see how the, what we want course, correlates to their own self-interest. Now, if we were to assume, you know, obviously many Democrats in the, in the Senate, Mendes in particular, was calling to sever 
<laughs> basically all relations with Saudi Arabia, which is obviously entirely impractical. Uh, specifically stopping all the military aid, stop training, stop supply, not selling them any more weapons. Uh, do, do you think that this, that this kind of reaction would be way overblown and necessary and that we have other means to employ in order to change the Saudi Arabia if we need to change Saudi Arabia mind in this sure. regard? I think, you know, I, with all due respect to the senators that I've seen on television, speaking about this. I don't believe that they're really that ignorant. I believe these are essentially political statements that they're making because of the, what, what has happened is not conducive to help the Democrats in the upcoming election. And therefore they wanna find someone to blame uh, so that they're wagging their fingers at Saudi Arabia. I would make two points here. First of all, it's an undeniable fact that one of the reasons our gasoline prices are high is because the administration has declared war on our own hydrocarbon industry. That's not my personal opinion. That's a statement of fact that they've stated this, that they want to decarbonize our economy. Yeah. They, they have closed down pipelines. They have restricted leases. They have increased taxation on oil production. They right. have increased regulation on oil production. And perhaps most disturbingly, they've encouraged banks not to lend money to people that want to drill for oil. So all of this is, um, you know, this, these are self-inflicted problems. That, and, and I think that people who want to blame everything on Saudi Arabia should look in the mirror. The Saudis are part of the problem, but they're not the entire problem. The second point I would make, and I heard one senator um, speak on this, and he, he made a lot of very specious claims, to be honest. First, he said, you know, we still don't know what happened in 9-11. Well, we've had 20 years to look into 9-11. There have been numerous uh, investigations of that of by course. both the government and private sector. And I can't prove that the Saudi government had nothing to do with 9-11, but I can certainly say that there's no evidence of that at the moment. Uh, you can't prove a negative, and maybe someday somebody will come up with some evidence. You mean in terms of a government uh, instigated attack rather than... Oh, there was really... I mean, there were 16, 17 Saudis involved. That is a uh, good... There were Saudis a involved, but these were, these were terrorists um, yeah. who were from Al-Qaeda, and many people seem to forget that Al-Qaeda was attacking Saudi Arabia as well, that the Saudis yeah. had a three-year-long insurrection, really, yeah. uh, where Al-Qaeda was trying, you know, they were blowing up buildings, murdering people in Riyadh. They tried to kill the Minister of Interior. They tried to blow up Aramco, or they did blow up part of Aramco's uh, refineries. Um, this, the Al-Qaeda were not the friends of Saudi Arabia. So I think people somehow missed that point. Um, this same individual then went on and said uh, that the Saudis persecute women. Again, that was just ignorant. I mean, if anything, right now, the Saudis are um, going out of their way to improve the lot of women. And we've talked about that in the past. It's not just yeah. women can drive, but now <clears throat> the guardianship rules have been dismantled. Women don't have to wear veils. Women, they have affirmative action to help women get jobs. One of the areas where the... Um, they're actually, you know, they have a vision 2030, which is a plan of where they want to be by 2030. And it has many targets. 
some of which they aren't making, uh, but one of which that they have already surpassed is the increase of um, women, the, what they call the labor force participation rate for yeah. women is already gone beyond where they were hoping to get it by 2000. Yeah, this was definitely very significant. So, so to but, say, yeah. you know, for some senator to come on TV and throw out this canard that, you know, the Saudis persecute women, that's just either he's very ignorant or he's just making a political statement. So um, the final point I would make about that is that um, we don't sell weapons to Saudi Arabia. We don't station troops in Saudi Arabia because we like the Saudis. We do it because it's- But of course, I mean, it is strategic interest of the United States. It's in our own national interest, of course. okay? Of course. We yeah. need a stable Saudi Arabia. When I hear these people um, talk about, well, we need to change the regime in Saudi Arabia, they're bad actors, they don't help us, they're not human rights uh, champions. I'm very much reminded of, and I'm old enough to remember this, that um, the same voices were heard about the Shah of Iran. And I think those people should really take a moment and pause and say, do you really wanna get rid of the Saudi monarchy and who are you gonna replace it with? it's certainly not going to be the Canadian parliament. It's not going to be a liberal secular democracy. If the Saudi monarchy collapses, it will be replaced by something very similar to what you have in Iran, because those no are- No question, the, I, I, fully, I fully agree with that. Those are the people who are organized yeah. and violent, all right? Uh, and this is what happens in most revolutions. You know, the Kerensky government lasted for what six months after the Russian Revolution until till Lenin and his Bolsheviks took over. The same happened in Iran. There was a brief temporary pause when you had a, a moderate government, but Ayatollah Khomeini came along and kicked them out. So I don't think that you really want to hope for a change in the government in Saudi Arabia. I think that would be naive. Uh, and in the end, it would be counterproductive. I think it would be counterproductive. Let me ask you, you know, Biden just said, you know, there will be consequences. He repeated that time and again. And if you were to to talk to Biden today, so he said there'd be consequences. What do you think kind of consequences could emerge from that? What would you say the United States should do in order to deal? I mean, right now, the tension is huge between the two countries. Uh, some effort of reconciliation will have to take place. The question is, how to, how, how is, what should the United States do at this point? Basically, we cannot drop everything. What's been said has been said. What would you, what would you advise uh, the president to do at this juncture, having heard and said whatever has been by Democrats, by himself, and by others? Well, I think you know at the, at the moment the president is primarily focused on the election, so he's not going to do anything that uh, I think, you know, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, these people are politicians and uh, they want to remain in power and they want to maintain control of the Congress. And so what, I don't expect them to do anything uh, to mend the fences with Saudi Arabia until after the election. And I think it's convenient to blame the high gasoline prices, um, not on their own decarbonization policies, which are not entirely the reason, but they're part of the reason. But to ignore that and blame everything on Saudi Arabia is a convenient politically. And I would expect it until after the elections, that's all you're going to hear. So, so um, they, what, what, what they do they do? Do you think Biden would do something after the election? Having well, I said think, that I, I do, yeah, I do, because I don't think that he's, you know, he's not 
ignorant of the benefits that we gain from having a cooperative relationship uh, most of the time with Saudi Arabia or from having a stable Saudi Arabia. Right. So it's in our interest. I, I think that it, you have to accept that Saudi Arabia is no longer and probably never again will be as closely aligned with the United States as it once was. But is it done? They have, uh, however, that's, that's strategic. Very saying that we have an antagonistic relationship with them. This is true, but don't you think that they have also vested interest, I mean, strategic interest, security interest, and it's not that neither Russia or China are going to replace that. So, so although there is the tension, but the level of cooperation on just about so many different levels, specifically military, uh, obviously energy, uh, economic development, and so on. It's massive between the two countries. This is an incident that could Im impact the, the relationship to, to a certain extent. But you obviously, and I, I agree with you, that the United States should not be taking foolish major steps in order to quote unquote punish Saudi Arabia. Some suggested, for example, since we need to do something, for example, we can withhold intelligence, uh, reduce sales of certain weapons, uh, uh, restrict uh, their access to, to, to a financial market, uh, slow down some development project. Do you think this is the kind of reaction perhaps that Biden should be considering uh, as, a, as a sort of a token that he's got to do something? Would that fall in the realm of what he should be doing, David? Well, that all depends on what he wants to achieve. If he really wants to rebuild the relationship with Saudi Arabia, punishing them is uh, counterproductive and will have precisely the opposite effect and drive them closer to China and to Russia, where they're already heading as of, as of today. The Saudis are not the typical American client state for two reasons. First of all, they are very proud. Yeah, they're proud people. And, and very independent. They have never been colonized. And they are, in their views, the fathers or the parents of, um, of Islam and the yeah. custodians of what they consider to be the world's finest religion. Uh, so they have an ideology and a history uh, of not being colonized. And I think, you know, I don't want to, I should not mention which country this was, but I was in, I used to live in a country in North Africa. Uh, everybody in that country attempted to convince me that they were really French. They, they spoke French, they sent their kids to school in France, you know, and I finally, I say to them, you know, look, you're not French. Stop trying to pretend you're French, you know, <laughs> be proud of who you are. Um, that doesn't happen in Saudi Arabia. They know very well who they are and they're proud of it. They're probably one of the few countries that ever had the audacity in our view to expel an American ambassador because he said something they didn't like and found offensive. That's a fact. Most countries wouldn't do that. They expelled Humaran uh, basically because he delivered a message from Washington that they didn't want to hear. So um, they're not easily intimidated. The second difference about them and the other countries is that most countries outside of the United States, um, especially in the developing world, in some ways are financially dependent on um, 
on the United States. I can tell you that quite frankly, it's the other way around. We frequently, I can't tell you how many times uh, we would go to the Saudis and ask them for money for this project or that project or something that we wanted them to contribute to. Uh, and they frequently did. So the relationship is a very different one. Um, they are the ones we go to ask for money, uh, not the other way around. So the idea that you're going to punish them or humiliate them and make them change their policy is, is gonna be exactly the opposite. So, so what do you think Biden should do, having said there'll be consequences? Can he retract that? Uh, here you're sitting with him, uh, the election is over. Regardless of the, I mean, obviously if, if the Democrats lose the House and the Senate, uh, he's gonna be in a, an area of buying regardless. But, but will he, he cannot just drop the whole issue with Saudi Arabia. What can he still do or, or don't, don't do? What do you think, what would you tell him to do? Having said there'll be consequences, can he ret simply retract that or do something however symbolic it might be? And what that could be or should be, if any. That's a difficult question. Um, the Saudis don't really think that they did anything wrong. So that if you decide you're going to punish them, uh, all your, it, it's, there's a phrase, you know, you bite off your nose to spite your face. Um, so if, if, if it makes people in Washington feel good, uh, if you will, it's sort of a form of virtue signaling that they've done something, uh, that's fine. But I don't really think that it's going to change the Saudis' behavior. The Saudis acted in what they thought was their own self-interest. They will do so again. If the United States wants to try to isolate them or punish them, uh, it will simply drive them closer to China and Russia, uh, uh, which is already happening. And you know, you have to remember that is from the Saudi perspective, um, China has more influence on Iran. And who do the Saudis think their big enemy is? Their, their, their biggest enemy in their mind is Iran, the one that threatens them the most. Uh, and they believe, and they may be right, that uh, China, which it has strong ties to Tehran, actually has more influence in controlling Iranian behavior uh, than Washington. So they, they have, um, I wouldn't say they have alternatives, but they, they certainly have numerous avenues of, to pursue their self-interest. I mean, I of course, I mean, you, you mentioned well, it. To answer your question, I don't. I think that the best thing to do would be just to try to rebuild this relationship rather than to punish them. And I will give you an example of this. Yeah. In 1973, when the Saudis very definitely damaged the American economy in a very big way, because the OPEC embargo of 1973 caused a decade right. of economic problems. Why they did that, as we all, it was part of the Arab response to the war with Israel. But for whatever reason they, they did it, they, um, they, they caused a great deal of damage to the American economy. And what did Henry Kissinger do? Did Henry Kissinger say, we've got to punish the Saudis. We've got to figure out how to make sure they'll never do this again. No, he and the Secretary of Treasury, Simon, went to Riyadh and made a very explicit effort to make the relationship closer. 
to tie Saudi Arabia closer to the United States, to make their economy more intertwined with ours, to make their military more intertwined with ours, not to punish them, to beat them with a stick, which is what you might do to some insignificant country, but to recognize that they're an important player and that they're quite independent because of their financial situation that uh, we need to work with them. So I would argue that I, this idea that you're gonna punish the Saudis, it may help you get some votes in November, but uh, after the election, I think I would let that slip away and try and find ways to rebuild it because punishing them is not gonna rebuild it. Punishing them is just gonna make them mad. And then the next time you ask them for help, they'll tell you to get lost again. Yeah, there's another thing, of course, as you well know, uh, the United States and Biden administration is complaining about uh, the the indiscriminate bombing the Saudi Arabia conducted in uh, in Yemen. Uh, they are very concerned about um, the the resistance to the Iran deal because Iran Saudi Arabia feel that if the Iran deals take place, is the the sanction would be lifted, and that's going to be exerted to their disadvantage. So these, these kind of discord beyond what they have done. And of course, now what the Biden administration considered to be an affront to the president himself, for the Saudis to take this kind of step, specifically now, just before the election, when in fact the, the inflation is, is horrible. And when the price of oil, gas at the station has been down, that's going to go up again. And that certainly is going to impact, most likely, on the result of the, the election. That's how they that's, see it I think here. That's, I think that's right. I mean, I'm not speaking for the Saudi government. I'm simply, I, I never never speak for them. I'm just giving you my view. But I would imagine that they would be more than happy to see um, uh, Republicans take get gain seats in the House and the Senate. They certainly are no friends. They're certainly no friend of Joe Biden. Uh, so you so, feel that they actually- Oh, I believe that they probably have. Um, and I can tell you that there have been other times when they manipulated oil prices uh, without going into de detail to, to have an impact on the American economy before an election. So I think that's probably accurate, that they probably would like to see- So basically they decided to take some kind of a retribution, a revenge, uh, because of what Biden said while he was running for, for a president, calling Saudi Arabia as a pariah state, refusing to, to talk. So as you can see, as you said, of course, when he visited Saudi to even shake the, the hand of her. Uh, so, so, so that basically they're, they're taking revenge. I think, that's how I think, I think that's uh, probably true. I don't know that, but logically, I, I mean, and it wasn't just the pariah comment. You have to remember that there are also incidences where the president sort of dismissively would say, well, there are people in the Middle East who want to talk to me, but I'm not sure I'm going to talk to them. You know, I tried to write something almost two years ago where I said, sooner or later, the president is going to have to talk to the Saudis and he ought to do it sooner than later. Uh, and nobody would print that. Uh, we sent it to a number of uh, mainstream media outlets and they, they refused to print it. They, nobody was gonna consider that. Well, I was right, quite frankly, eventually he did have to talk to him. Uh, even then he didn't do it quite as effectively as, as he might have. But the reality is we live in a world where our ability 
to dictate to other people is, is not infinite. We do have to deal with other people. You have to talk to people you don't like. You have to negotiate with people you don't like. That is the essence of diplomacy. You know, if all you do is talk to people who you like and who agree with you, well, you, I don't think you need a State Department. The purpose, yeah. of the, the purpose of the State Department is to avoid conflict, physical conflict, by talking to people who you have tensions with. We clearly have tensions with the Saudis now, but hitting them with a stick uh, is, it seems to me, uh, counterproductive. Uh, yeah, but you know, you, you, in, obviously Saudi Arabia has many cards to play. On the other hand, the United States also does have a number of cards. That is, uh, Joe, I want to go back to the, uh, to the military, the extensive military cooperation between the two countries. Obviously Saudi Arabia is not in a position to say, we don't need any, your training, we don't need your military, we don't need your equipment, we can turn to Russia, China, which we know, you know, I know, that that is not going to happen uh, uh, at all, because to replace the military, this is not a simple undertaking. It could take years and years. Moreover, these two other countries that can actually provide some kind of, this kind of weaponry, uh, the, the quality is not the same. So, so there's that, 70-year-old, uh, you know, uh, security alliance, so to speak, between the two countries, which Saudi Arabia still needs and wants, and I'm sure wants to maintain. And then you have the United States, of course, concerned about the oil or production, supplies, and all of that. So there is here mutual, mutual dependence to some extent. I want to put the word dependence in, in, in quotes. Do the Saudis, don't they understand that? You know, I think, um, yeah, I think they do understand that. I think that they recognize that it would be difficult and expensive and time consuming to replace all the American equipment uh, with something from some other country. Although I wouldn't be surprised to see them start doing that. In fact, they've already started doing that because the Chinese are helping them with drones now. We refuse to give them drone technology, so they went to the Chinese. Uh, they very well may. If they go and buy this Russian air defense missiles, uh, that will be a real uh, shot across the bow for us that they are beginning to move in another direction. But they believe that the civil war in Yemen is a direct threat to them. They did not start the civil war in Yemen. The civil war in Yemen was a result of the Arab Spring, where the government of Saleh was overthrown. And then the interim government there, again, that you could argue was briefly democratic, uh, was overthrown by the Houthis, who are surrogates for the Iranians. Now, I wouldn't say they're controlled by the Iranians, but they are certainly influenced by the Iranians. And the Iranians are using the war in Yemen as a method to destabilize Saudi Arabia. The Houthis publicly claim that there are two provinces of, South, of Southern Saudi Arabia that ought to be part of Yemen. Um, so the idea that the Saudis are resisting or trying to defeat these, the Houthis, um, you know, this is not this is unprovoked. Uh, they have legitimate security concerns um, in, about what is going on in Yemen. When President Nasser was running Egypt, he and the Soviets, tried to destabilize Saudi Arabia by a war in Yemen, uh, very similar to what the Iranians are doing today. 
So, and what was the American response? Well, the response of uh, the current administration was basically uh, to try and hamper the weapons, the flow of weapons to the Saudis. So they were quite unhappy about that. They said, we're being, we have a legitimate concern in our view uh, about what's going on in Yemen and you're not willing to help us. So, um, you know, this is a two-way street. They have, they have numerous reasons to be, and then again, I'm, the role of commentators like myself is not to present, to, to, to argue one side or the other, but simply to present the facts to your listeners that the um, Saudis see themselves as having been betrayed, if you will, uh, in our agreement where we're supposed to help them with defense and they're supposed to help us with oil. Um, they, they would argue that we didn't help them as much as we could have or should have in Yemen. On the other hand, remember that, I speak for them here. They're saying, which is one thing, Saudi to protect its interest when it comes to Yemen. And it is another to bomb indiscriminately, killing thousands and thousands, including women and children. I mean, that's just when it comes to human rights, which has been the sort of the flag of what Biden run on. You know, uh, again, I, I, I don't want to get into a debate with you, but are you aware of the human rights record of the Houthis? I mean, have you focused of course, on that? Of course, of right. course. I mean, well, you are absolutely right. I'm just saying, I'm not saying, this is my, my view. No, this but is I, what I, again, I would, no. I, I take some exception to that. I have to say, I'm not here to, in this case, you know, it's what Ronald Reagan said, you're entitled to your own opinion. You're not entitled to your own facts. The Saudi Air Force does not go around and never did go around purposely targeting civilians, okay? There was collateral damage. They were initially, and I have, and I think they would admit this, they are not the world's greatest pilots. Uh, they did not have the best targeting information. Civilians were killed. There has been a lot less of that in the last three or four years than there was initially. I would also point out that a lot of Afghans and even Pakistanis were killed in our drone strikes, okay? This is, we don't have completely clean hands on this. When you are in a war, civilians get killed, okay? Whether you, you know, the idea that you're going to have a war and no civilians are going to get killed, it's it foolish. So I'm not arguing that the Saudis should not try harder not to kill civilians, but I take exception to the idea that they were using the killing of civilians as a, if you will, as a mechanism, as we did in World War II, where we very, very definitely set out to kill civilians uh, with our strategic bombing campaigns, uh, both in Germany and Japan. Uh, and that, that is not what the Saudis are doing. And it's not what they ever tried to do. Uh, and so I don't really, I, I, I find that, you know, a, a, um, an unconvincing argument, if you will, to say yes. that we shouldn't help them because they're trying to massacre civilians. I don't think they're doing that, and I don't think they ever did. Yeah, let me let me go back. To, let me to, to the point that I think is that the ceasefire, right? the ceasefire between between the two sides, you know, Houthis and Saudis, and has expired and has not been renewed, but just very recently. And obviously, the Saudis have a role to play in that. Do you feel that the Saudis should? endeavor to renew the ceasefire and uh, because at least for the last six months the the, the Yemenite people were able to, to breathe a little better 
you have a little bit of supplies of food and etc. And and the Saudi definitely can play a role in resuming. Yes, look, or I, renewing. Think I think that's an excellent point. And I think that the Saudis want this war to end. The Saudis didn't start this war and they don't want it to continue. If you talk to Saudis uh, in government positions, they have a lot of things they're trying to do in their country with this vision 2030, which cost money. And they have a finite amount of money and financing a war in Yemen is definitely not high on their list of things to do if they could get rid of it. So they would like that war to stop. Yes. Right. Um, and they are, they have encouraged the ceasefires and they have agreed to the ceasefires. They would like, they would like the war to end. Uh, they would like the Houthis to agree that they're not trying to take over the two Southern provinces of Saudi Arabia. Uh, and the real instigator here in, in my view, I think, you know, the one who really has the handle on this is the Iranians and the Iranians, the Iranians, the Iranians use this like a stove. You know, they turn up the heat and they turn down the heat and they turn up the heat and they turn down the heat. Uh, it's kind of like the Chinese and the Koreans, you know, the, the Koreans don't launch these missiles, uh, just completely on their own. Um, you can be sure that they get some kind of a nod and a wink from, uh, the Chinese before they from go. China, yeah, yeah. So, um, it's the same. It's the same that the Chinese use North Korea as a as a flame to turn up and down, and the Iranians do the same in Yemen. Um, so, to answer your question, yes, I, the Saudis would like this war to end, and they would, and then then they would be more than happy. Uh, well, maybe not happy, but they would be willing to help to rebuild Yemen uh, once the war ended. Yeah, should, should this be part of the? Let's call it reconciliation process between the United States for the Yemen, for the Saudis to make supreme effort to renew the ceasefire. Yeah, I think United that's a good State. point. I think that's a good point. You see what you you've identified. How should the Biden administration right. or any American administration respond to the current tensions in the Saudi-American relationship? I've tried to explain why I think that punishing them, hitting them with a stick is not going to obtain the result that you hope for. All right. Better to try and find places where our interests coincide right. and to develop those, which is what Henry Kissinger did after the 73 oil embargo. And I, and I think you've been spot on in identifying that one place where our interests very definitely coincide is in ending this war in Yemen. Uh, so yes, I think that would be a, a good a good step. Um, right. What well, what other incentive, if you know, you think the United States could offer, or other opportunities of collaboration at this point in order to mitigate the uh, the tension, which is going to continue at least for a while. But any other steps? I mean, uh, obviously, if the United States would take any uh, punitive action against Saudi Arabia, and I agree with you 100%, that will not zag out to help. On the other hand, Biden may be in a bind. He wants to try, might want to try to do something after the election. Or we suggested here something, but but in the, in the final analysis, something is going to give. I think both Saudi Arabia as well as the United States ought to make some kind of reconciliatory moves. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I would, I, would, 
I would counsel the Saudis to do the same. Yes, I agree that this is, you know, who started this, you can argue. What if there hadn't been a murder of Jamal Khashoggi, then maybe Biden wouldn't have would not have called them a pariah. You know, if he yeah. hadn't called them a pariah, maybe they would not have uh, been unhelpful in oil markets. So it's a tit for tat thing that's been going on. I and and, and I think both sides have some uh, explaining or some apologizing, if you will, to do. But um, so you're right. I think both sides need to come. It's not just Biden who needs to put out his hand uh, this time. I think a little bit more credibly than he did last time. Uh, and it, it's the same with Mohammed bin Salman, who's made it very clear that he doesn't care what Biden says. He's actually said that he's, you know, he's gone on TV and said, you know, I don't care what Washington does because they, they, I, I, I don't know. He didn't say why. He just said, I don't care anymore. They seems that there's nothing I can do to please them. So I'm going to move on. Um, but do, so, you think, do, you, do you think he really means that? I mean, he knows how important the United States still when it comes to um, to Saudi Arabia national security concern throughout the region. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, a, year, a year ago, I would have said that, uh, that I agreed with you. I'm less certain now. Um, I'm less certain than I was. I mean, I think that they certainly still need the United States. The United States is still the greatest economy and the largest military power in the world. But their willingness to move away from the United States is certainly more than it was in the past. Partly but because do you, of do you really think it's a, would, be, would be a practical move? I mean, considering the massive, massive ramification, not for Saudi Arabia only, but for the entire region. I mean, this is going to be a revolutionary move. So I, do, I personally don't think that's going to happen, given given the, the I would agree. seventy I, years I, of I don't. I I I don't think you know that it's uh, on and off switch. It's not black and white. It's a matter of degrees. Um, I think you know you could have if you and I as I say I've watched this relationship for a long time. When I started, the United States was the only game in town in Saudi Arabia. Everything right. was done through the United States. Everything. Everybody went to school in the United States and was going to be educated abroad. All the equipment was purchased by the United States. I'll give you an example. Um, outside of North America, Saudi Arabia was the only country that I know of that had uh, 120 electricity because their electricity was all installed by the Americans. Everybody else in Asia and Europe, they all have 220. And this now the Saudis, the, Saudis, the Saudis have started moving towards 220 so that they can be like everybody else. But that just gives you an example of just how deep the influence of the United States, Every everything in their military hardware was from the United States. All of their aircraft were from the United States, uh, commercial end. So th and, and that is fading. Uh, you know, America is not the power that it was at that time, um, either globally or in, uh, in, in relationship to Saudi Arabia. So it's not an on-off switch. I think that they will continue to have an important relationship with the United States, but I don't think it will be, we will not monopolize them the way that we once did. Probably not moment monopolize, but, but uh, like you mentioned, you know, significant number of the Ashura Council, various Council and the Parliament. Some estimated to be even 50% came studied in the United States and went back to unbroken government, various private companies and societies. There is a cultural as well a connection between the two kinds, albeit 
different religion, different orientation, different history and all of that. But given that such a huge number of Saudis come to the United States to study, also they go to Europe as well, but many, many of them. So, so there is that cultural connection that is continue to exist. And there's still for many, many Saudis, the United States, when it comes to education, higher education, the United States seem to be the, the place to go to. I would agree. Do you think, do you think that's going to change? Um, first of all, I would uh, amplify the point that you just made. The Saudi elite is largely American educated. Right. Um, to an extent that surpasses that of almost any other country in the world. They have an appointed parliament. Half the members of that parliament have American university educations. All right. That's a remarkable, that's a remarkable statement. Exactly I, can't right. imagine, I can't imagine that there's another parliament anywhere in the world other than Washington, where you can actually say half the people have American university degrees. Uh, I haven't done the math in the last year, but the last time I did the math, you know, over 70% of their cabinet had American exactly. university degrees yeah. and 100% of the Aramco board were yeah. American educated. These are, these are, this is a strength, a relationship that is, um, you know, I don't think there's another country in the world where we have that kind of a link. So you're right, that is something that is valuable. Uh, but I will just point out how that is changing. After the first oil boom, when they sent people overseas to get educated, that um, was 90% of them went to the United States. Almost nobody went anywhere else. Um, then it became more difficult as a result of 9-11 for Saudis to go to the United States. And so yeah. they began to go other places. And now I would say, I'd have, I'd have to go and do the math exactly, but it's probably 50-50 in that half of them go to the United States and half of them go other places. Now, there's no other one country that comes close. No, to no, I mean, I've seen them in Europe, especially. But Europe. if you add up all yeah. the countries yeah. in Europe and all, and, and now they're going to yeah. China, now they're going to Japan. I mean, so there are Saudis going other places besides the United States today. That's just a, an, another example of what I'm saying is that the American monopoly on Saudi Arabia is, okay. is not what it once was. But that doesn't argue against your point, which is that they remain um, deeply intertwined with the United States, that it is in their interest to remain deeply intertwined with the United States, and that they will probably do so uh, for the foreseeable future, unless we do something to drive them away or alienate them. So you feel in that, given this, uh, there's a history of seesaw, so to speak, between the two countries. Countries. So, given now the, the most recent event, do you think this is eventually will sort of settle down rather than further escalate? Would you think that neither side is willing not to further escalate the tension between the two countries, or they're going to both start to mitigate that quietly and move on, given the long history of alliance, alliance between the two sides? Would they come to the sense and say, well, we cannot go too far? It's time not to sit. For example, would you encourage Saudi top officials to come and visit the United States yeah, say after the election? Yes, I would. I would. Yeah. I, I think that um, 
maybe not MBS himself, but foreign minister. Why not MBS himself? Or him, I mean, or you know, why himself? not? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I think that what should have happened in Riyadh could still happen. MBS needs to make some kind of concession, no doubt about that. I wouldn't say an apology, but some kind of a concession about yeah. this, about oil. And Biden needs, President Biden needs to say, this Jamal Khashoggi thing is over, okay? I mean, if you, this thing has, it's, it is a crime, it is, it should not have happened. It, but when you look at the fact, what is happening in Iran today, and we're chasing them, trying to have relations with them when they are put, killing people in prison because they didn't put on a veil, or when you look at China, who we continue to want to have good relations with, and they have how many thousands of people in Uyghurs in these camps, which they call re-education camps. I don't know whether they're really a concentration camp or not, but they're certainly in some sort of a camp. Or a country like Turkey, where they've got more journalists in prison than they have journalists in Saudi Arabia. So I think these things have to be, you know, things are not black and white. Things have right, to be right. measured. And I think that we need to get over Jamal Khashoggi and the Saudis need to commit that that sort of behavior will not happen again. And I think that's, and then in fact, in reality, if that is, um, I think that is the progressive way to deal with crime. We in America often say that the way to deal with criminals is not to keep them in jail forever, but to try and rehabilitate them so that they can become a productive member of the community again. So trying to, you know, if you will, keep Mohammed bin Salman in jail for the rest of his life is not what we preach at home. And I don't think it's what we should preach over internationally either, assuming that he commits to um, not doing something like that again. All right, all right. Well, I mean, uh, obviously, he obviously did not take responsibility. Uh, he, he also committed and said that this is not, gonna, this is not uh, something that we do. I mean, the likelihood that Saudis will, will repeat something so egregious like that it's not likely, at least not a, not the way it's, it's been done in, in the Turkish uh, Saudi embassy in Turkey. Um, well, you know, it's it's a, we can talk about this for for, for still some time. Uh, any final thoughts you have on what's what's coming on now? That um, I would only say that you know the American Saudi relationship has had its ups and downs over many years. The oil embargo of uh, 1973, 9-11, uh, yeah. these, these have been very um, significant blows, if you will. I would argue that they are, both of those were blows that were more significant than the, fact that, they, than the fact that they just cut oil production. Uh, and, you know, you got to, I, I, this is one brief aside, but, you know, Saudi Arabia is a leader in um, OPEC+. Plus but it's not the dictator of OPEC plus. There were a great many other countries that agreed to this, you know, other Arab countries, other- um, yeah, yeah. Arab The UAE is one of them, obviously. Kuwait, UAE. Um, Kuwait, yeah. You know, there are a lot of countries that agreed to this other than just Saudi Arabia. So I think it's a bit unfair to exclusively blame the Saudis. But the point I'm making is that we have seen ups and downs in this relationship. Correct. Yeah. And that, in the end, wiser heads prevail on both sides and agree that we're better off um, cooperating 
and we have many areas to cooperate. You know, exactly. the, and this would be my final comment is that ultimately our interests and those of Saudi Arabia Align. are at a fundamental level aligned. That's right. They are a wealthy, prosperous, stable country. They would like the global economy to be prosperous so that they will buy more oil. Right. And they would like the Middle East to be stable so that they are not involved in some kind of a war. This is one of the reasons why they have always been supportive of trying to solve the Arab-Israeli dispute, which they have been. And we could talk mm -hmm. about that. Oh, all. no question about it. Yes, but they, no they want that problem solved because it destabilizes the region and they don't want a war or a revolution to upset the apple cart, which is doing pretty well for them at the moment. So our interests in both prosperous global economy, a prosperous global economy, and a stable Middle East are very much aligned with the Saudis. They are not aligned with Iranians, for example. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so I think that we should find a way to stabilize uh, our relationship with Saudi Arabia and not let it continue to deteriorate, which is what it's doing at the moment. Well, I am hopeful. I think I think given given their mutual interest, uh, I don't. I, I think I think uh, in the end, both sides are going to make this kind of effort rather than allow the relationship to further deteriorate. That's my hope, my feelings. I, 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 I'll, I'll give you one last comment, and that is that unlike our relationship with many um, of our allies, which are deep and institutionalized. Um, who is the president of the United States or the prime minister of Great Britain is not going to dramatically change the fundamental foundations of that relationship. Uh, that's not true with our relationship with Saudi Arabia, in part because it's never been institutionalized and in part because they remain an absolute monarchy. And so how, long, how well you get along with the king and how he gets along with the president um, makes a difference. It does, yeah. more, so than, more so than in most of our other relationships. And that is often done um, quietly and below the radar. And so what is said publicly and what is done privately um, are often not the same. So I understand that the Biden administration, for, for quite understandable reasons, uh, has an election coming up and doesn't want people to be upset about gasoline prices and has, would like to blame someone. And that very conveniently could be the Saudis, who are partly responsible. So I don't expect to see any public statements, but I would hope that privately uh, things are a little different. Well, thank you so much. I mean, um, you know, this was extremely enlightening. I'm really grateful to you. Specifically, it happened nowadays having this wonderful conversation with you. Thank you, David, so well, much. It was a pleasure. I hope it was informative and extraordinary. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.